Our gospel lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, and this is the 10th chapter. Hear now these words of God. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send our laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. See, I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse and no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you. Cure the sick who are there, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. This is the word of God for you. The people of God. You may be seated. I told the 8:30 crowd this morning, so I'll tell y'all as well. There is this great saying among clergy and preachers that no good preaching can cover up bad music, but good music can cover up bad preaching. And so it truly is a gift to be able to be here and to preach among y'all and in the midst of such good music. Now, the term missionary can take on many different forms. Some are called to travel to the ends of the earth, serving all around the globe. We've actually got a team seeking to form a medical mission trip to Bolivia next June, and maybe you're called to be a missionary in that way. Others are called to serve in the U.S. and focus on domestic missions. You might live out this calling through serving in AmeriCorps, Teach for America, the National Guard, doing the U.S. 2 program, or doing mission trips among our states. Now, still others serve mainly within their geographic state. You might connect here with Cooks and Hills, or the Circle of Care, or Restore Hope. Or you might work with Youth Force, or help with many of the different camps throughout the summer. But so many of y'all, I can feel it, are already making excuses in your head about why you can't be a missionary. I hear them. You've got limited mobility. You're not old enough. Maybe you think you're too old. 
You don't have enough time and not enough money. You don't speak different languages and so on and so forth. The excuses pile up. But y'all, none of these excuses work when Christ calls us. None of these excuses make a difference when Christ says, go. Be my disciple, be my hands and my feet in the world. Go and be a missionary. But none of these things need to be something that bother y'all because Christ does call us each and every day to be a missionary. So don't fear. You don't have to pack a bag. You don't have to get on a plane or a bus. You don't have to go somewhere else. But each and every day, you can be a missionary. Your mission field is your home. It's your office. It's your church. It's your school. It's your community. It's smiling and chatting with the grocery store clerk as you check out. It's tipping 20% or more at restaurants and going to the same places over and over so that you can make a relationship with your waitstaff. It's inviting the new kid at school to come and to sit with you at the table so that they don't feel so alone or scared on that first day. It's baking cookies for your neighbors and then inviting them over for dinner. It's opening doors and saying please and thank you, taking time to listen to someone without interrupting them. It's living your life so that folks know and meet Christ through you. It's living your life so that others know how valued by God they are through the way that you treat them. Now within our scripture lesson this morning, Christ gives us some great tidbits and tools and guidelines to follow as everyday missionaries. These are the things that will allow us to be ready and prepared to meet God in the unexpected places and the unexpected people, and just to be ready to serve. Now, the first guideline that Christ gives to us is that we need to depend on others. Jesus tells his disciples gathered to go but to carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and no guarantees about how they will be received. All they have is the promise of Jesus to go with them, to do great things through them, and to bring them home again. Now this means that the disciples must depend on the generosity of others for their meals, 
for a place to stay, for, well, you know, just about everything. Most of us probably find that kind of dependence uncomfortable. It makes us feel that we're not prepared, that we're unsafe, that we're vulnerable. But y'all, I wonder if that's the point. Because we are vulnerable. We forget this too often as we go to great lengths to be able to try to manufacture and, and create these illusions that we have of control, of independence, and of invulnerability. But we need God. We need one another. Any kind of illness, any kind of loss, any kind of death or disappointment or tragedy reminds us so painfully of just how vulnerable we truly are. Now, we, when we live further into this truth that we are vulnerable, that our wealth or our nice cars or our nice homes or our great jobs don't define us, when we live with that reality, it becomes easier to serve, easier to say, here I am, Lord, send me. Easier to see Christ in others, to receive as well as to give. Howard Thurman was a wonderful Baptist theologian who helped kind of start pave the way for the civil rights movement. And Martin Luther King Jr. would often carry around in his briefcase his book, Jesus and the Disinherited. And within that book, Thurman says that the folks who understand the gospel the best are those who have their backs against the wall because they depend on that message of salvation. They depend on that hope because everything else around them has failed them. So when we let go of our own sense that we've got it all under our own control, we're then able to step out and to serve Christ in new and transforming and powerful ways. But in order to do that, we have to leave some stuff behind. Now, because that's such a hard step, Jesus hands us a gift of grace through the second guideline that he gives us for living as a missionary, for he instructs us to go in pairs. He knew that the work was going to be hard and that some days you would feel too weak and others you wouldn't have the words or you'd struggle to see the glimpses of hope that are always popping up around us. And so Jesus sends us out in pairs. Therefore, when one falters, the other can help. When one is lost, the other can seek the way. When one is discouraged, the other 
can be able to hold the faith for both of them for a while. That's what the company of believers do for one another. We hold on to each other. We console each other. We encourage and embolden one another. And we even believe for each other. Moses had Aaron. Mary had Elizabeth. John Wesley had his brother Charles. Frodo had Sam. And Harry Potter needed a little bit more help, so he had Hermione and Ron. But we forget that. We forget that we need one another and that we need God, that we can't do it on our own. Because we live in a culture that insists that it's all up to us, that it's all on our own individual backs. But Jesus' reminder that we find success only with and for each other is a beautiful gift for his disciples then and for us, his disciples now. Now, sending them out in pairs and having them rely on others probably helped with this third guideline, practice relational ministry. Eat the food that is placed before you as a sign of hospitality and honoring the work of those who have prepared the meal. Don't go from house to house, scattering your mission and trying to serve everybody, everywhere, all at once. Instead, listen to God's Spirit telling you, who is the one that you're called to be in ministry with? What is the one life, the one place, the one mission field that allows your deepest passions to meet the world's deepest hunger? In my work with the Appalachia Service Project, we trained volunteers to be able to do home repair ministry in order to make homes warmer and safer and drier. While the work was always important because any work that was not finished on the homes, we as staff had to finish it later on in the summer, we would always tell our volunteers that the relationships that you build are your first priority and that building the home and repairing the home is your second priority. Now the reason for this became so much clearer to me with a family and a home that we had in Mingo County, West Virginia. This is the place of Matewan, of the Hatfields and the McCoys, if any of y'all know of that grand debate and debacle. And so this community and this town had deep, rich roots and history. And that summer in 2001, we had this homeowners named Rob and Becky. Now, Rob and Becky, their home was way far off away from the center of town, way up a holler. And they lived secluded and isolated from many folks. And they did that purposefully because Rob and Becky were a biracial couple. Now, I know it's probably shocking and surprising that in 2001, in the hollers of West Virginia, 
that a biracial couple were not welcomed. But they weren't. They were seen as other and dismissed from many different activities within the community. They had heard words that were incredibly hateful, spoken about them, sometimes even sadly enough, to their faces. Their children had been taken away from their home by DSS because they didn't have enough rooms in their home in order to provide enough space for all the kids. But Rob always told us that he thought that the reason why they were targeted with that was because he was black. Because there were many homes that summer that we worked on in Mingo County, West Virginia, that did not have enough rooms for all of the kids that lived in those homes. So Rob and Becky, they were broken. They'd been hurt. They'd been vilified. They'd been humiliated and shamed. And so our first week that we sent volunteers there and our second week, our volunteers would come back to our center and say, this isn't what we signed up for. We don't have the happy family that's on the brochures. Our homeowners don't talk to us. They sit inside all day. They're not working or helping us out. There's no cute kids running around that we get to play with. This isn't what we expected. And this isn't what we want. And so we'd listen to those volunteers, but then we'd remind them this ministry is about being with people and meeting them right where they are so that they can also experience healing and hope and love. And so God bless those volunteers. They would go back and keep on serving, and keep on trying to find new ways to connect to the family. Well, our volunteers had problems for about the first two weeks, and then a little bit during week three in the middle, there started to be a slight turn, but then it was my week five volunteers that had the biggest turn. For by week five, those volunteers were coming back and it was their favorite home to work on. After we'd been sending a team of seven out week after week after week, Bob and Becky have been able to start to see that they are loved just for who they are. They didn't have to change anything, and that we would love them, and that God loved them too. And then by week seven, Rob would get out there and start working on the foundations of the home some more as well. And Becky would go out and help a little bit more with the volunteers. And she'd be able to bring them out some water when it was getting super hot in the beginning of August in the mountains of West Virginia. And by the end of our summer, they had come and started coming to our cookouts at the end of the weeks. 
and they'd started being able to relate to more than just their volunteers. They started to see the whole group as a group of people that loved them for who they were. And that healing and that hope and that promise never would have happened if we had given up on them after week one or two because they weren't fulfilling what we thought should happen with a group and a family and with what the volunteers had expected. But instead, new life came up because the relationship was the most important part of that mission and that ministry. And good news, they got their kids back at the end of the summer after the addition to their home had been completed. Now we would send a group of seven out to Rob and Becky's house each week. Christ sent out 70 disciples out in pairs, 35 different groups going to 35 different places. Now my preacher's count this morning, and usually a preacher's count is a little higher, and because I'm not super good at math, I'm going to make it a little even as well. My preacher's count is thinking that there's about 500-ish folks here. So if y'all today found your partner in mission and went out and served in the world with your partner, there would be 250 different places that Boston Avenue United Methodist Church would be able to impact throughout this next week. 250 new places. And then just think about what happens when you impact one of those places. Somebody's going to go from there and go out somewhere else and be a part of changing the world because of what you had done. And this continues to ripple and to build and to grow and to grow until all of the world knows that they are loved by God for who they are and that they are a beloved child and accepted in God's sight. Now, some of y'all still might be sitting here, though, and still kind of thinking, Sarah, you got some good talk, but I don't still really think that I could be a missionary. So I'm going to give you three specific ways and ideas that might help you think about how you could change the world. Now, in case you think you're too young, there is a young man on his seventh birthday who, instead of having a birthday party, he decided that he wanted to have all of his friends come and make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and take them down to feed the homeless in Tulsa. And from that birthday party began the Tulsa Nightlight Ministry, which is a ministry for many folks who are homeless underneath a bridge. If he had not thought of doing that for his seventh birthday, who knows what would have happened. In case you think you're too old, there's a story of a hundred-year-old woman in Missouri in a United Methodist church who every day calls up the people within her church who are celebrating a birthday. That is her mission and her ministry, is to wish folks happy birthday. And in case you think you don't have enough time, 
I had a friend in Virginia who took her angel tree ministry gifts to her office and wrapped those gifts in her break room. And it started a conversation with a coworker. And then she invited that coworker to church. And they started coming and they got their own angel tree gift. So y'all, you're not too young. You're not too old. And you have plenty of time. God still has a plan and a purpose for you to be able to serve in this world. So go forth to make God's mission a reality. Go depending on others. Go in pairs. Go practicing hospitality and placing relationship at the top. Go forth to live God's mission and to be a missionary every day. Amen.